What takes a little bit more thought and a little bit more intention is looking outside of yourself and into the communities of people who are more directly impacted by legislation than you are. Also remember that voting is just one tool that we hold within our advocacy toolbox. We're not gonna wake up on November 4th or two weeks later when we actually find out who wins this year and realize that what we did to vote in the general election made all of the change we want to see happen. So I think it's important to remember that voting is just step one and then to create real change that we have to get involved locally. Hello and welcome to The Activist. I'm Elise Mason here with Jamie King. Today we are talking to Amelia Howe, an environmental activist, policy director, and founder of Outdoor Advocacy Project. Our conversation is all about the intersections between political engagement and wellness. This conversation felt like a ray of hope and a call to sustained and sustainable action at a time when we are all feeling particularly fatigued by the news cycle. For more like this, please join us for a panel discussion about political wellness this Wednesday, October 21st. You can register to attend live or get the recording at flexandflow.org slash political. Please know this is not a conversation about policies, parties, or persuasion. It's a candid and pragmatic look at how our votes and our political engagement impacts personal and community wellness. Thanks for listening. And now let's hear from Amelia. Hi, Amelia. Hi, Jamie. How's it going? It's good. We're so happy to have you on the Activist Podcast. But tell everybody, where can we find you online and where are you located? My name is Amelia Howe, and I wear two different hats in my professional world. I am a co-founder and policy director of the Outdoor Advocacy Project, which you can find on Instagram at, at Outdoor Advocacy. I started this project with my best friend, Katie Bouet, this past winter in December, um, and we have been evolving a lot. So check us out on Instagram. We also have a website. And then I also can be found on my personal Instagram at, at Amelia Howe with three E's at the end of Howe. My second professional hat is I am the Senior Policy Associate at the American Alpine Club, which is an organization that focuses around the climbing community and being a welcoming space for all climbers to come and connect around education, environmental advocacy, and just celebrate the climbing community. That can be found at AmericanAlpineClub.org. Great. We'll put all of these in the show notes for listeners so that they can find you in all of the various places. I've looked at your Instagram. Um, it looks like you're a pretty avid climber. Yes, I am. I find climbing to be a huge part of my wellness journey in my life. It keeps me grounded and brings me back to what I'm focusing on in my work life. It just brings a lot of balance. So I would say climbing is a huge part of my life and my advocacy story. Yeah, I was going to ask, did one begin before the other or have they always just kind of been there, the advocacy and the climbing? I have always been really interested and engaged in policy in different ways. I went to high school outside of uh, D.C., so I think when you're in that, that sphere of policy, it just makes sense that it becomes something that you're interested and engaged in. 
But it wasn't really until I moved to the West that I discovered this deep love for policy. And I think it almost happened simultaneously in the sense that I found where I wanted my policy um, work to lead was when I became really engaged in the climate community. There was this magical moment where I came to the West, specifically Colorado for college, and I realized what a unique ecosystem it was. Not only are there like vast, beautiful mountains and public lands that people can access, but there's also a bunch of different stakeholders um, that all work together in a really magical way. So anything from like the ranching community to the climbing community to people living in Denver and the more urban areas of Colorado, all working together and all loving this place in different ways that all connect really well. So all of those intersections created this, this fire inside of me that allowed me to see that I wanna protect that feeling, that ecosystem of the landscape and the people in the landscape. And I also wanted to invite more people to appreciate it as well. Right around that time was also when I began climbing outside and it just became a really natural progression from there. Yeah, that's awesome. I think often when we are engaged in things um, that make us think about the impact that we're having on the places that we love so much, that's a great call to action to become involved and hopefully (laughs) be an advocate for change. Yeah, it definitely feels like a privilege to have just discovered something that I care so much about that also brings so much joy and community and wellness into my life. I think with the climbing community particularly, it just feels like a really strong bond. You're holding each other, you're offering space for one another, you're literally keeping each other safe. And so I think that's something that I not only want to protect other climbers, I want to invite more into the sport and I want to protect the places where we're climbing. So there's a lot of things to advocate for in that um, singular activity. Yeah. And I was just reading uh, that you and uh, Katie are going to bat for a bill that's related to the military. Can you talk about that? (laughs) Yeah. Talk about intersections, right? (laughs) This past year, it was actually for the American Alpine Club's annual lobby event, where we typically would go to DC, we bring a bunch of professional climbers, anyone from like Alex Honnold to Tommy Caldwell to more local climbing stars from across the country, we take them to DC and introduce them to the space of lobbying. And it's a really awesome event where we can advocate in DC for the places that we love to climb on and also for other things such as equity and access to climbing areas, funding for public lands, and other mechanisms that support the sport of climbing. So specifically this year, we were advocating for two amendments that were kind of snuck into the National Defense Authorization Act, which is very confusing because that is (laughs) essentially the budget for the military for the next fiscal year. But these two bills were huge public lands packages. One is the CORE Act or the Colorado Outdoor Recreation Economy Act. And the other is the Protecting America's Wilderness Act. The Protecting America's Wilderness Act basically packaged a bunch of different wilderness bills into one, ranging anywhere from Arizona all the way to Washington and Northern California. And the Colorado one focuses obviously on Colorado. So it was a unique opportunity to advocate for something that typically we had, you know, we're not following at all and meet with representatives and 
tell them that even though it's a, a bit strange that these amendments made it into this package, we see them imperative to pass. And so just keep them in, pass that bill, and we'll all be happy. And it benefits us in so many different ways. Cool. Yeah, I was reading about that this morning. I was, oh, this is so interesting. Um, I would just love to hear more about it. And I'm so glad that you're breaking it down for people in such a digestible way. And I think that's the beauty of advocacy and doing it through your passion, getting other outdoor people involved in that way and on a platform like Instagram where you can have that voice and that message be so amplified. Right. And I think um, Outdoor Advocacy Project, really the dream arrived to Katie and I out of this place of understanding that policy and advocacy is super complicated. If you open up like a bill just to read it, um, say on like the legislation.gov website, it's it can be up to 600 pages. It can include all sorts of jargon and inaccessible language, and it can really feel overwhelming really fast. So if you're trying to understand something that's going on um, in your local community, say like the Colorado Outdoor Recreation Economy Act or something, and you go and look at the bill, you might feel super overwhelmed right off the bat and end up not knowing how you can engage. And what Outdoor Advocacy Project hopes to do is to create digestible content so that people can see something on a beautiful graphic, learn a little bit more in a digestible blog post that avoids jargon and um, kind of political wonky language, and just make the information accessible to everyone because really bills like this impact so many people and they directly impact our backyards. And if we're not able to understand and comprehend what's going on in that legislation, how can we adequately protect those things or stand up for each other? So really with OAP, we just want to create a space that is welcoming, judgment-free, and allows people to really understand what's going on in DC from Instagram posts or blog posts. Yeah, it's super helpful because it is really time consuming to weed through all of the information that's out there. And it can be really confusing. So I think it's nice to have that place where things are digestible and also where you guys are essentially doing the homework <laughs> for everybody else. <laughs> We've been thinking a lot about Nicole Cardoza's newsletters. They're really, really good. It's the Anti-Racism Daily. And in it, she talks about how wellness starts at the poles versus at a studio or, you know, whatever outdoor space. And we've been thinking about that concept a lot and what that really means. Um, and so what would that mean to you? I think the concept of wellness action taking place at the poles is super awesome because if you think about wellness or if you think about any part of your life, it is directly impacted by policy. There's so many different levels, so many different scales whether it's your local community uh, county commission or the federal government passing a, a law that directly impacts your or your neighbor's life, we have to start thinking about everyone in our entire collective when it comes to things like voting and showing up to the polls. I think if 2020 has taught us anything, it's there is a lot of disparity in our country and there's a lot of just systemic racism that exists that creates barriers in ways that many people were just completely unaware of until COVID kind of brought it to the forefront. I was reading an article the other day that one in 1,000 Black men are dying from COVID. And that's just like a staggering statistic. And that is not okay. And so I think COVID has really brought to the forefront that 
the wellness industry, the healthcare industry, accessing food that is healthy for us. All of these things are impacted by policies that are in place. And if we elect people that are putting systemic racism at the top of their priority list for ending, we're going to have uh, better policies that are impacting people on the ground in our own backyards. So I think it's really important to go and first of all, vote, but also remember that voting is just one tool that we hold within our advocacy toolbox. A lot of elections, many would say this election included, I would consider harm reduction voting, which means we're going to the polls, we're deciding who is going to bring the least amount of harm to people who are living within my community, living within different communities across the country, different counties in my state, and how can we elect the person who's going to make the best policy decisions for those people, for my community and others. Mm-hmm. So that's just step one. The second step is activating on a local level within your own community, because we all know that voting in the general election isn't going to make all of the change happen that we want to see. We're not gonna wake up on November 4th or two weeks later when we actually find out who wins this year and realize that what we did to vote in the general election made all of the change we want to see happen. So I think it's important to remember that voting is just step one and then to create real change that we have to get involved locally. That's so great. That's such great tips. And I think that that often gets sort of left out, especially you know as we're all, rallying around the vote 2020 sort of rally cry, I think it gets left out that there that doesn't end there. Like there's just so many steps to take beyond voting and a reminder to people to get active in their local communities is so important. What are some different ways that you recommend people do that? Yes, this is a great question. And because I have such a strong belief in community action, I think a few things come to mind for me. The first is listening to your local NPR station. It's such a good place to hear not only tidbits about what's going on nationally, but things that are happening in your community as well. I think another tip that I take advantage of is if I'm involved in an activity like climbing, um, there are so many nonprofits that exist that are constantly putting out information about um, policy change or new laws or bills that they want to support or not support. And you can sign up for nonprofit um, newsletters to stay in the know about things that are going on in the community that you specifically engage with. So I think that's another good tip. Also following accounts like the Outdoor Advocacy Project that can kind of give you a rundown of issues that are happening in a non-overwhelming way. Um, And another great account, especially in the realm of this intersectional thought and creating connections between things like protecting the environment and also standing up for social justice. I highly recommend following Intersectional Environmentalist on Instagram. They're an amazing account that, similar to OAP, but in a bigger way, create connections in a beautifully graphic and also simplistic way that connect things like social justice and the environment and teach people about the history behind systemic racism in the environmental movement. It's a great account. It's run by Leah Thomas, who is an amazing advocate. Cannot recommend it enough. 
Thank you. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Appreciate the the tip and we'll definitely follow along. I have to ask, and I sort of always wonder, you know, about all of us who are <laughs> advocating for change, feeling 2020 in a very big way, which I think is difficult not to, um, unless, I don't know, you live under a rock and someplace where that you don't have to encounter any people or any news. Um, <laughs> but how are you, besides maybe just climbing, how are you taking care of yourself during this time when you're also out there taking care of the earth and others on the planet? You know, this is such a good question. Um, I think it's so important to recognize the burnout that people are feeling this year. Um, I have a lot of friends who work in organizing and advocacy, and I think we are all feeling sort of unwell, to be just like fairly honest. Yeah. 2020 has just brought so many emotions, so much instability to so many people's lives. I have the privilege of being like a white woman in America who is college educated and has a job during COVID. And I still feel this burnout. And so it's happening on such a large scale this year. And I think it's so critical to find ways to reconnect with yourself and your being in a way that makes sense for you. And for me, I think, you know, climbing, obviously, as you mentioned, is a huge one because I find it to be a form of meditation. It's something that takes me out of my everyday life and allows me to only focus on the activity that I'm doing. But also with climbing in COVID, it's become complicated and that's not as much of an option as it has been in previous years. So I think another thing we need to realize in 2020 is what's happening around us is really heavy. And we are getting so much information from all over the globe so quickly. And we weren't made to be able to digest that much information. So I think being able to step out of the media cycle and the news cycle for a moment and really just sit and feel the feelings that are being brought um, to light for you and acknowledge how hard it is and how sad you feel. Because if we ignore those feelings and just kind of quote unquote, fake it till you make it, we're mm -hmm. gonna burn out. This year has been just devastating in so many ways. And I think if we try to just avoid the feelings that we're feeling, we're just going to kind of perpetuate the cycle of burnout. So I think for me, wellness looks like when I can't go climbing, I'm taking intentional time away from my phone. I'm taking intentional time to even just drink a cup of tea and stretch at the end of the day after a day full of clenching my jaw and you know standing at my desk. I think there's really small things that you can do. And the second thing I really recommend is finding a group of people who you can relate to in this time. So for me, that looks like a group of women who I have been meeting with and we talk about the issues happening in our country and our world. And we allow ourselves to hold space for one another and feel what we're feeling and also make a group effort to create change in our local community or find organizations to donate our dollars to during this time and to really activate as a small group so we're not feeling so isolated and alone. That's great. I think that's super important. And I think a lot of times, or at least what it seems to me is people that are always on the front lines of advocacy um, and also education, you guys are providing education for others on how to get more involved. You're serving people and that gives a lot of energy and 
yeah, and it takes a toll probably, I can only imagine both mentally and physically as you're having to digest all of the information, process it, feel it, and then get everybody else to get behind it. So um, very appreciated um, that you guys are doing the work that you're doing. And I'm glad to hear that you're finding ways to also take care of yourself because yeah, it is a difficult year and a difficult political climate (laughs) to say the least. (laughs) I think Another thing that has felt really overwhelming for a lot of people during this election cycle, and I think just when advocating for anything in general, is that feeling of sense of urgency surrounding making change. Suddenly, something that you love is under threat, and you immediately are like, oh my gosh, what can I do to save this thing? Should I go like tie myself to a tree and make sure it doesn't get cut down? (laughs) Should I like call the president of the United States? Obviously, that doesn't work. Like, what can I do right now to make change? Um, And I think a lot of people forget that the most powerful thing you can do is impact your own personal sphere of influence. Um, And so that looks different for everyone. But for me, and where I am in my life, my sphere of influence is my family, my friends, uh, the people who I work with um, in both of my jobs. It's uh, Congress people who I have a personal relationship with or have done the work to create a personal relationship with. Change does not happen overnight, no matter how much we wish it would. And creating meaningful relationships and community is the best way to make long and lasting collaborative change that actually has a positive impact on people's lives. So I think rather than jumping the gun and immediately you know, storming to the hill of your Capitol building in Portland or in Salt Lake or wherever, I think it's important to take a step back and think about the people in your own circles who you may be able to have a direct impact on and have those conversations there first. Thank you. I think that really speaks to the powerlessness and the frustration that a lot of us are feeling right now. Like, how do we make an impact when 2020 just keeps seeming to throw more and more at us? That's a really powerful reminder. I want to circle back to your discussion of this upcoming election and how it's really an exercise in harm reduction, which I think is probably the most useful way I've heard of thinking about (laughs) this election personally. But I was really struck by your discussion about thinking at a community level when you're making voting decisions, because I think we often hear people talk about voting as a very individual and private act. But it sounds like you approach your decision-making more from a community-oriented perspective. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more about how you think about you know, private decisions at the polls while also keeping that broader impact or community-level impact in mind. Yeah, that's such a great point. And it's, it's funny, I was just talking to my mom about this because she is someone who sees voting as a very private thing. And I think... It's kind of a generational thing almost that people, you know, are very private about who they're voting for. They don't have to answer you when when they say who they're voting for. It's just interesting to think about it in that sense. So to me, I think a few things come to mind with this. And one of them is I am a 25-year-old white woman who grew up in a middle-class family, and I am college-educated. And something I always try to do when I'm working on different projects is keep that in mind because I need to be using the privilege that I have to uplift others. And so I think when you think about privilege or you think about, 
even just community action, it's easy to, to only focus on self because you're, you know yourself, you know the issues that matter to you, the legislative impacts that will affect you the most. But what takes a little bit more thought and a little bit more intention is looking outside of yourself and into the communities of people who are more directly impacted by legislation than you are. So if I'm thinking about how my community in Salt Lake, for example, is impacted, I need to not just think about what's going on in my neighborhood, but what's going on in neighborhoods who are located in food deserts, who are five miles away from the closest grocery store, and within that grocery store aren't having as good of access to fresh produce and quality foods that I am from my local Whole Foods down the street that I can walk to safely. So I think it's important to remember that there are so many people who are impacted even by a harm reduction vote. And there may be people outside of yourself who are impacted at a higher level. I wouldn't even say maybe, there are people. There will always be people. So you see signs um, all over people's yards that say like, vote as if you are, and then it will say, you know, LGBTQ plus or black or brown. And I think it's really important to remember that as a white person, so I can only speak for myself here, I have the privilege to utilize my vote to protect people in my neighborhood who maybe don't have the right to vote, who can't access the polls safely, or who legally cannot vote in this country. So it definitely takes more than just focusing on self to make your harm reduction vote matter. Oh, that's so beautiful. I feel like your generation is going to save us. So thank you. Yes, I agree. I'm very appreciative. (laughs) Yeah, hearing you talk about voting that way gives me so much hope because I think in my generation, it's maybe not as private as in your mom's generation, but it's still very much, it feels to me like it's very much sort of an individual, like my personal beliefs and like my needs kind of decision-making. It's really beautiful to hear people thinking about it on sort of a bigger picture. I know that's on everyone's minds, front and center and all-consuming right now, but post-election, what projects or other opportunities are you looking forward to having space for, either with OAP or just personally? I think many people who are working in the sphere of organizing or advocacy centering the election right now have been totally just taken off uh, the normal trajectory of a year and can't even think past, you know, two days from now. Um, So looking (laughs) forward into the future, it's really, you know, interesting to think about what I'm excited to work on. And I think a few things come to mind, depending on the outcome of the election, as I mentioned earlier in this conversation, our work is not done. If, If whoever you want to win wins on November 3rd, still the work is not done. So I think there's a few things that I'm excited about. One would be if there's a new administration, I would love to work together in coalitions with other organizations that are centering outdoor advocacy and intersectional environmentalism and help the next administration focus on these things in a way that feels productive. So there's all this transfer of information that happens when administrations switch hands. And so I would love to engage in that in some way. Another thing is Katie and I with Outdoor Advocacy Project are really excited. We have both been so deeply ingrained in this uh, political cycle. 
and have honestly had to take a step back from OAP and focus solely on our voting, get out the vote projects. But we are super excited to revive and reignite the fire behind OAP and start activating the countless volunteers who have reached out to us to start creating content and just offering our communities more information about things that are going on that impact us, both positive and negative. So we've had just, I think I would honestly say hundreds of people reached out to us after launching OAP with ideas and concepts and graphic design and all of this beautiful content. And we are really excited to just engage our community and start doing the education work from that platform in a really inclusive way. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Activist. We publish new conversations about topics related to fitness, health, and community every week. Please subscribe and review wherever you listen. And to join us for live workshops and movement classes, please visit flexandflow.org slash join.